Welcome back to the program. Father Nagel is going to lead us in a scripture and a prayer. And this is from Luke 11. I tell you, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Lord, we do approach you today and we ask your blessings upon us, especially in just in terms of um, prayer. Uh, all those who are listening, that we might grow in our relationship to you and our communication with you, that relationship. So bless us today in this, we ask through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Father Nagel. I really appreciate that. So, Father, since we last spoke, uh, several things have, have happened, I believe, in, in the in the, the life of the church in the Archdiocese of Seattle. I think since the last time we spoke, you've had priestly ordination. We have. That's true. Um, it's been a couple of weeks, about a week and a half ago. Oh, two now. Two now. Okay. Great. Uh, do you want anything, anything jump out at you in terms of a highlight? Or, or uh, I, I remember um, being in the seminary, one of the things I found most inspiring to me were, were priestly ordinations. And for just a variety of reasons, but when you're uh, just as a priest and having been a being a priest now for what over twenty years, mm -hmm. um, what is what is a, the coming together as this priestly fraternity to gather with the bishop and to um, see uh, another uh, man come forward and be ordained into the priesthood into that sacrament of holy orders? What does that mean for you? I do, yeah, I. I've conned all of the priestly ordinations since I was ordained, other than the uh, 2020 uh, COVID uh, ordination, we couldn't go. I, I watched a live stream, but I do always go just because it is a renewal. It, you, you can't help but kind of think back to your own ordination. And all this happened since. This has been the 25th year anniversary for me. And so it had been 25 years. And so, um, you know, you kind of look at the the uh, ritual again, and it's, it's complicated, it's long, and so sometimes you forget in between, but then he said, oh yeah, there's, then we do this, then we do that, and so it's a renewal. It's, I assume, I, I think I said this before, but I, I assume it's like married couples going to weddings, um, where you might know the people, maybe you don't very well, but you do remember what it was like to, uh, on that day, to take those vows, and you know, your life has changed, and so it's a, a chance to renew, I'm sure, your own sort of evaluation of, of how the marriage is going. And so, again, it's that kind of renewal for me. So it, it, it always is a wonderful time. And I'd say also this time, uh, last year we were there, but not many people were allowed in, just the priests and a handful of the family. So this was kind of back to quote-unquote normal. Um, you know, people were in the cathedral. And so in that sense, it was also very nice. It's funny. It's one of the few occasions, at least, I, I don't know if they still do this, but uh, I remember 10 years ago-ish, you have to get tickets. Yeah. It was the, it was the only way in. And, and it's, it's kind of funny thinking you have to get a ticket to get into, into the cathedral. But it was just, it was a sign of, uh, I would say, that sense of the love the faithful have for the priesthood and for the, the gift of an ordination and uh, men coming forward into that, into that sacrament. That, I, I love that. It's a sign of, of an abundance and, and a longing to want to draw close. You know, I remember those days as well, um, when you could only have so many family come. Um, 
or guests, I should say. The family probably always got there. But how many guests? This year, you know, we're not quote back to complete normal because there was some space left over. So I think people are still kind of um, – some people are a little bit cautious. But um, looking forward to the day when it's overflow again. So when the uh, in the course of the ritual of ordination, uh, there were a couple of moments that really, for me, uh, stand out. Um, one of them is when the priests lie down prostrate mm-hmm. on the ground you know, during the litany of the saints. And just that idea of laying down their life, literally, right? And that gesture, uh, and then calling on the great saints of heaven to be praying for them. That I always found very moving. And then there's one other, again, distinct um, liturgical gesture that you just don't see. Uh, I don't know if it it happens almost anywhere else, Um, but it it happens during ordination. Um, And so I'm wondering if you can guess which one it is. Well, I I think that maybe all the priests laying hands on the priest, um, or there's also... um, you know, obviously, there's the laying hands of the bishop, the ordination. Um, but then, and that's the again, that's the um, the the actual giving of the sacrament. But all the priests come by and, and get, place hands on it as well. Um, so that may be what you're thinking. But I, I also, for me, well, I'll stop there and, and throw it back to you, and then I can go on. So yeah, I was going to say when they when they do the sign of peace. Okay. And, and all the priests come by. Now he's ordained. Uh-huh. And there's that, that um, the welcoming into the priestly yeah. fraternity. And that, you know, I, so this is all very personal, you know, um, and it's subjective to a certain extent. And I would say, again, the, the laying on the hands, all these, you can rank them in terms of, um, you know, depth or meaning or something. And I do think the, I can see why the, ex- the exchange of peace would, it is a, it's kind of a joyful, it's kind of a, and it's also almost kind of like a jokey. Sometimes it's just, it's just a very warm, welcoming thing. For me, at our archdiocesan, uh, archdiocesan um, uh, ordinations, usually, although not this year, but usually, I kind of like the vesting of the priest as well. Uh, the Veni Creator Spiritus is usually sung. And I, there's a sort of outward change, um, where you take off the deacon stole, you put on the priest stole, and, and, and for the first time publicly, you know, this, this person's wearing a chasuble. For me, that's always been, the transformation, outward transformation has been emotional, but um, I'm not saying that's necessarily, you know, theologically or liturgically the high point, but for me personally, it's always been something that's moved me. And, and isn't it uh, that you choose a priest to be the one that um, helps you get vested. Right. So you choose a one or two vesting priests, and so they're helping you put on this new vestment. You know, sometimes they get it backwards, and it's all kind of kind, <laughs> kind of clumsy. It was this year too, but there's something beautiful about that. I've been honored to be a vesting priest a few times myself, and I'm now too old. You know, usually it's the young priests who have the you know you know and um, or et cetera. But it was really nice to be the vesting priest a few times and be able to do that. So I, I bring this up. Um, well, actually, I want to come back around. You mentioned the, the laying on of hands um, when the priests follow after the bishop and they, they, they lay hands on the, the, those that are being ordained. Um, why was that so meaningful to you? I just think that there's, it's a quiet time. It's all done in silence. 
Um, and for me, I think it's probably in some ways maybe kind of like what you think of in terms of sign of peace. But it's it's the whole presbyterate in action. Um, I just see them again. We take turns, and it's I think it's more solemn than the the sign of peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's the the action of the whole presbyterate um, that we're connected in this way. Um, so th- I think there's a similarity between the sign of peace and the laying on of hands in some ways. Um, but for me, it's just the the quiet. It's a silent gesture, but it's I think it can be moving because it, it takes some time. Um, but every priest has a chance to um, partake particularly in this uh, um, liturgy in that way. So for me, it's I, I'm not saying it's emotionally the biggest, but I think in some ways for some people it might be something they don't see before. You know, they don't see that. And so it's yes. something new. So do you mind? I'm going to ask. You don't have to share. But when you're laying hands on the uh, those being ordained, um, what are you praying? I'm praying just for this person to be a holy priest. Uh, holy and saint, saintly priest. That's mostly it's just the for holiness uh, in his priesthood. Um, you know, words to that effect. Nice. Uh, is it like a personal addressing of the Lord? Like, Lord, yeah. bless this young Yeah, and you know, I, this it's man. silent. Um, I don't try to say it so this guy can hear me or anything. It's just a silent prayer. Mm-hmm. Do you ever talk about that with the with the uh, your fellow priests? Like, what, what do they say? No, what do they pray? I, I've never, no, I've never asked anybody about that. That's so interesting. You know, it's a, uh, you wonder what, the, the, you ha- obviously have that sense of impartation, but there's that sense of, right. uh, I'm, I'm praying a blessing on you, into you, ministering, the Lord is going to minister through me to you in this impartation of blessing. Right. Well, that's a good that, question, you know. Um, <laughs> maybe we should talk about it some more, but I, I've honestly never, I've never had a discussion with other priests about that. Well, it's kind of like an intimate moment, mm-hmm. and and you can imagine that um, some priests might get a little caught off guard, like, oh, that's right, what am I going to pray? <laughs> um, it would be interesting, yeah, it would be interesting to see if there's, a, if there's a sense of saying, Lord, give me a sense of guidance for what I'm supposed to pray over this one versus over this one. And for me, it's not that much. Um, it's not. For me, it's, it's more or less the same prayer, you know, more or less. Mm-hmm. For everybody, uh, by this time, usually, again, in the old days, I used to be someone who had a lot more contact with the seminarians, and and I would know them more. At this point, I don't have as much personal knowledge at this, you know, at that point in their journey, to say this person needs this or that. So, and I, I haven't really asked the Holy Spirit to give me um, some sort of, uh, you know, the right prayer. It's it's really I I have my idea of what I want to pray and I so I just it's, it's really just I have I have what I want to say to each one of them that's beautiful well you can't go wrong praying for them to be saintly yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty good default setting if yeah, you're going to be praying you know. a, a prayer blessing over a priest may they be holy and saintly we well need that yes you know I uh, I do want to come back around and and answer the question um, what what about this sign of peace and this a more um, joy-filled moment of embrace and welcome? Uh, it's that idea of priestly fraternity, mm-hmm. priestly fraternity. And um, one of the things, and I'm going to have you walk through five different themes. Mm. I know you're, 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 you've already doubted that we're <laughs> going to get through five themes in the rest of the program, but we, we've already stepped right into the middle of the first one. And that is 
Um, having spent these years in the seminary, there were certain seminarians that I would call brothers. Mm-hmm. The sense of the Lord brought them into a very, like I, I was called to walk through the seminary towards the priesthood with them. And even though I was not ordained, those that went on to be ordained, when I would talk to them after the fact, I would ask them, almost without exception, when I would talk to them on the phone, and this was especially in the, I don't know if I'd say the first 10 10 years of their priestly life, when it was more regular, we were in contact, I'd say to them, where's your priestly brotherhood? Where's your fraternity? Who is it that's walking with you? Who is it that's supporting you, encouraging you, and helping you be accountable to your priestly vocation? Just knowing that um, priests, diocesan priests, they go from a semin- uh, the life in a seminary with, that is just filled with a bunch of guys like them, to all of a sudden now being in a parish where they maybe at first are with a priest that's quite a bit older, and then often within a year or two, or at most within a few years, they're by themselves now. And and this radical shift that they're making to living a life that is much more solitary and um, and and therefore not as easy to access priestly fraternity. Um, and so I'd always ask them, who are you walking with? Who, who are you reaching out to? Who reaches out to you? And it, um, it's one of, those, one of those areas in the life of a diocesan priest that is, it's not easy, and it will only typically happen if a priest is willing to make a concerted effort to say, this is a priority, and I'm committed to making this happen, even if I've got to be sacrificial about it. Yes, I, I would agree with that, that it's something that has to be intentional. Um, it's easy not to seek out other priests for the reasons you say. And sometimes it's, just, it's not just the, that you're not living with them, but you just get busy. Um, and I do think that unless you really, in a sacrificial in the sense of, you know, you, you have to do this rather than other things. You have to, you know, call. You have to go to dinner. You have to travel. You have to go on vacation with them. All sorts of things. And so I do think that there's, you know, that question of who you are, um, who are, who are you having fraternity with, or how, you know, what, where's your brotherhood at this point? I think that's a great question for all priests, and I, and it can come in different ways. And I don't know if you may not explicitly ask this question, but in terms of kind of where I go with it, I see it. You know, there's different possibilities. One of them, for me, I would say the the greatest sense of fraternity is just what you said is the my classmates from the seminary because we spent five or six years together. I think some of my best friends from the seminary are still my best priest friends, even though we're not in the same diocese or the same part of the country. Uh, I went to the Midwest to Mundelein for seminary. And most of my friends are back there. And so I intentionally, that's really what I do for vac- vacation is I, I don't know if I've ever gone on a vacation where I wasn't with a brother priest uh, since I was ordained. Because again, that's, that's the only way to do it. I mean, that's the only time to actually, I can call them, which I do. But in terms of seeing them, it's really a vacation uh, opportunity. Within the diocese, um, we, we do have, you might have heard, Yesu Caritas groups. And so I have a, a group of that that gets together once a month. And some of us get together more often. 
But I also have started something with uh, Father Bill Watson, the 40, 40 Weeks program. There's one that takes place for priests. And so I also have a, a group of priests of a half dozen priests that are you know, weekly checking in and monthly getting together for lunch for that. So there are some opportunities, but every priest has to find his own way. And But it, you're right, it's really not optional if you want to have a healthy priesthood to have some way to find fraternity there. Well, I know this. Talking about this, uh, I on Friday, on Thursday of last week, I talked about this in relationship to lay people and how um, I just happened to have some conversations last week with a couple of different guys that were both husbands and fathers and asking them, hey, where do you find support, encouragement, accountability? Where do you find this sense of brotherhood in your own Catholic Christian walk as a disciple of Jesus? And the the closest thing that I would hear back, the closest thing was um, the idea of an accountability partner. Mm-hmm. And those are often coming up as, as a way of battling against sin, and often it's battling against pornography. So that's sort of the context for a lot of guys today sort of backing their way into this idea of um, uh, walking together in faith, and, and it tends to be focused, again, really mostly on accountability, um, but a, a rich sense of the a rich sense of this idea that the Lord calls us to walk together, and and in in by walking together we're going to go further, faster, farther, mm-hmm. um, and and the losses that happen, really the real losses that happen in our life of faith because we don't have that. Uh, to use a Pope Francis word, accompaniment. We don't have that accompaniment. We end up settling for so much less than I believe what is God's best. So We're not Father, just... I'm going to let you respond to that after the break. We're up against a break. When we come back, Father Nagel is going to share very profoundly, <laughs> I'm setting you up, Father, uh, about what I just shared in terms of um, the, some of the losses that happen if we lack that sense of brotherhood and, and the challenges that um, laymen have and Uh, applying it to his uh, life as a priest. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com. drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran with Father Kurt Nagel and talking about um, five different um, sort of foundation stones for growing in faith today. And, and the first one we're talking about is priestly fraternity. And I just shared Father Nagel about fraternity, uh, a sense of a call to brotherhood, a call to walk together in faith that lay people really struggle with and, and men really struggle with. Um, I just shared quite a bit. Uh, I'll let you just pick up anything that I had shared that you want to sort of leap off into. I do think I'd start with just the, the laymen. Um, and what you mentioned, and and you mentioned that you know without um, support brotherhood um, you, you, you settle for so much less. I think it's even worse than that, though. I think sometimes you just fall away. 
Um, it's not that you settle for less, but you actually drift from the faith. And I, I, that's why I think it, it is really important to, to find some kind of, um, especially today, I mean, to be a faithful Catholic is to be strange and to be weird and to be out of step with most people in your workplace or your neighborhood. And so that in that situation, you know, again, we've talked in the past about these various books or ideas of the Benedict Option or whatever you want to call it, but the idea of a small community in which you're not weird or strange, but that you're normal and not just held accountable, but held up. Um, so I, I do think that there's that sense of, yeah, and it may be a cliche or a stereotype, but I think men are, aren't as good at this as women in terms of just naturally forming these small groups. Um, and so I think there has to be more intentionality behind that for men. I think it's necessary for both. But I think that um, that I, I've just felt that men are they're more self-isolating, I think. And so the idea of getting out, and, and that, of course, means for priests, that um, priests have this... It's, it's difficult. It's, and, and you're dealing with uh, diocesan priests whose natural vocation is not community. Um, religious order priests, that's part of their call. And, and for diocesan priests, you know, we're not. Not in, at least in that same sense of the religious priests where that's part of who their own, that's what God's called them to be. So I do think there's that, that sense of need, especially today, it used to be, if the culture itself would, you know, everybody, you weren't weird, you weren't strange. Um, you know, to be a faithful Catholic was, at least to be a Christian on the whole in, in the society, that was to be normal. And there was lots of ways in which um, it was just easier. So I, I do think these days this is a crucial element for everybody, priest included. Well, yeah, and, and I like what you did. You you really did up the stakes that how many uh, lay people have literally just lost the faith. Mm-hmm. fallen away from the faith, floated away from the faith or rejected the faith because they didn't have the, the support, encouragement, and accountability of a brother in the Lord. Uh, I, I, I just, I know that. I, I think efforts like uh, the um, Exodus 90 mm-hmm. um, picked up on yes. the power of get together for a distinct period of time and make more radical commitments. And guess what? You'll find the strength to do it if you do it together. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a it's a key to folks who are doing almost anything, any kind of like you know running groups that are preparing for a marathon right, right. or workout groups, so that you're you know cheering each other on. Uh, all of that. I agree. I think that's Exodus ninety is a perfect example, um, and they, it's temporary. But I would hope you know what if you were to continue that on, and I think part of it's the it's a challenge is that it's, it's really, you know, it's difficult. And so for some people, they look at the end and say, I can't really wait till this is over. But the, the fraternity piece of that, um, you shouldn't get old. Um, that, that's something to try to, to savor and to say from it. So I'm not sure exactly how, but I would hope that, you know, you could still get together and maybe calm down a little bit um, and then ramp back up for the next Lent, but have a year-round um, not Exodus 90, but Exodus 365. Yeah, so for a number of years, uh, I had a men's group that met once a week. And um, during Lent, we would get together at five in the morning and pray for an hour in front of the Blessed Sacrament, because that was the only time people could make it. And 
it was, it's almost as if there's like a grace given for a season. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, let's say, enduring graces given to live out your typical way of life. And what I would emphasize was the idea of um, a commitment becomes integrated in your life when it's no longer a commitment. You're not thinking about it anymore. Right. You don't have to every week stop and say, am I going to do this again? No, that, that's, not, that's not the reality. The, real, the reality is I'm going to do this. I don't even have to think about it. Right. And, and that's, that's when you know it's deeply rooted in you. Well, Father Nagel, I want to shift to the uh, second of these five, because I'm going to get through five with you. (laughs) And it's going to to connect to the first one, but it'll get down to a more foundational thing, which isn't just our relationships with other brothers that the Lord establishes, but our relationship with the Lord as it comes to expression in prayer. Now, today's the Feast of St. Benedict of Nursia, and uh, I think he's a He's, he's probably a saint that you feel more of a connection with uh, when you think about maybe the life of prayer than the idea of getting together with a, a bunch of guys. Um, and and uh, I'm, I'm contrasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I'm doing. Um, but uh, the, the, the call to pray is, it seems to me, another one of those things that it's easy to let get crowded out of our lives. That... Um, we hear about it occasionally, but do we make it a firm, unthinkable thing to, to not take time to pray on a daily basis because it's going to nurture our relationship with God, our first relationship? I'd first say, I think that uh, St. Benedict is actually good for both of these. Um, it, it, mon- his monasteries are a communion of brothers, but um, a school in the Lord, but, but you're right. Um, it, there's, there's a community of prayer. And anybody who's been in my parishes um, knows that this is probably maybe the top thing I, I pound into everybody. I preach about it regularly. I have what I call the 20 minutes of silent, solitary prayer a day. Um, I just say this is just, it's really, it's, it's a necessary thing. Everybody needs at least 20 minutes a day of silent, solitary prayer. And where are you going to get that? We, we can work on that, but it has to it has to happen if you're going to really grow in the Lord. Now, other things also have to happen. But this is a real challenge for people, but they can do it. As you say, even those, those men going at 5 o'clock to do a holy hour. Well, maybe you go at 5.30 and do a holy half hour. But given what growth of a soul towards God looks like, it's not going to happen unless there's dedicated time of silence and silent prayer with him and a dedicated time for them. And so we can make that part of your life, not just a you know a seasonal thing, but this is just has to be part of your life. So that's that's one of the, probably the central themes of my pastorate, is the, the necessary reality of, of individual prayer time with the Lord. Family time, prayer time is also public prayer, liturgy, those are important, obviously, but it has to be one-on-one time too. So that's a big thing with me. I love that. And and I know, uh, just knowing you for, I don't know how many years now, Father, that, that theme, that 20 minutes a day set apart for the Lord. And I, I like what you emphasized, which was not doing other things, too. Not mm. while you're driving. Right. Nope. You know, not uh, as you're walking. I mean, you can pray, I guess, while you're walking, but mm-hmm. um, as a, as a set-apart, Yep. This is a set-apart activity. 
like one of the yep. things that triggers uh, uh, Carrie um, and my wife when we're talking is if someone's looking at their phone, mm-hmm. right? So first of all, I don't have, I, I've got only two kids at home that graduated high school that have basic phones. The other kids have iPod, two kids have iPods that are in high school. Um, but if they're looking at their like device while she's talking with them, mm-hmm. she, she takes it as, a, as an affront. Mm-hmm. Like, this is very disrespectful. Look at the person in the eyes you're talking to. Put the device away. And it's just a non-negotiable standard. And I, I like that because it, in some ways, for me, links it to the idea of set apart everything in order to pay attention to God. Uh, that's a great analogy, actually. Um, and I do agree that what I'm talking what I'm talking about here, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the church or chapel because uh, that's not possible for some people. But it has to be you're by yourself with God, quiet, solitary, um, and it has to be. And again, you can go on your rosary walk later. Also, go to daily mass. You can do all sorts of things. But there has to be some time in which. God, you can start to meditate and he can start to give you contemplative prayer. So there has to be that time where it's just the two of you. It's getting like marriage. Uh, That's an old cliche analogy, but every married couple needs alone time. Um, It doesn't mean you don't love your kids. It doesn't mean you don't go on vacations. It doesn't mean all sorts of things. But you all need one-on-one time with with the, the beloved, and that's what you need each day with Christ. So, and it's and it is a challenge. It's a challenge. Well, let me ask you, Father. So let's say that people are hearing this and they're saying, okay, of course, of course, what difference does it make? What is the impact on a life that follows follows this uh, guidance? So I would send them to the the Carmelite saints, Teresa of Avila, John the Cross. But what it does... Again, it's the whole idea of what a soul, how a soul grows and develops, and the different stages. That Teresa would call them the mansions of the, the, the soul, and there comes a time when the vocal prayers and liturgical prayers aren't enough. You have to engage in a one-on-one relationship because the the whole point is to go from where I'm praying and I'm active and I'm doing most of the work to allowing my soul to grow to such extent that now God says, okay, I'm going to start coming into you, and you can be more passive, and I'm going to be active. And if you want to talk about anything more than just, you know, holy, a pretty holy guy, but if you want to go higher than that, then God has to do the work. And that happens when you shut up, you be quiet, and you just sit there, and you let him pour himself into you rather than you trying to pour yourself out to him. And so that's what the silent solitary prayer is. And there's a, again, it's a long story, and there's there's more to it, but the idea of going from an active meditation where you're thinking about God and talking to God quietly just by yourself to where you're sitting and he is is acting on you. That's the fourth mansion of Teresa's scheme. That's what's necessary here, is that there's going to be an entirely different way to grow that's, necessary if you're really going to become who God wants you to become in the spiritual life. So that's, I, I think if we don't do that, we, 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 we stunt our growth and we, we stop it at a certain point and we say, this is this far and no farther. So, so I'm going to, um, and, and, and I'm not trying to make you guess the answer I have in my head, 
But if I said uh, people hear that and say, so what? What will be the actual fruits I experience in my day-to-day living if I am not praying versus if I am growing in the spiritual life? What difference will it make day-to-day? What happens is the only way you really grow in virtues ultimately is when God's life is in you. And you you can go to a certain extent, but what really happens is when God is acting through you and in you, then you can be, then you can really become the virtues will really start to happen in, in us, and so you become a, 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 again God a, mo- a more God filled person. So if you want to be charitable, loving, patient, courageous, etc., this is how it happens. Um, this is when we talk about saints. You're not talking about miracles. You're talking about heroic virtue. That's the sign of a saint. And heroic virtue is the stuff that humans can't do, only God can do. And so if you think, you know, I just can't do this, I, I, I can't do that. Well, God can. So the whole point is to get out of his way, empty yourself enough so that he can start to work in you more. So that's what the change is going to be. You'll be transformed in God. Um, and so that would be, a, if you want to talk about selling point, it's just as, don't you want to become everything that God wants you to be? Well, and yes, yes and, right? So yes, and the way that shows up, folks, if you're listening, do you ever feel a bit frustrated, like all my efforts are not helping me address the challenge I'm facing in my marriage or the challenge I'm facing with my kids or the challenge I'm facing at my work or uh, this other personal challenge that I'm facing to to become unbound and set free? Well, you you may be leaving God's power on the sidelines. Right. The Lord's ready to step in and bring his power to bear that will set you free and then give you peace that, wow, I didn't have to try so hard. But the instead, Lord I try to do it my myself. Battle. I try to do it I'm myself. Sorry? Instead, I try to do it myself and I can't. Why don't I let just God do it for me and in me? That's the difference is, you know, I, I, I can't do these things myself. I try, but it never really works too well. So why don't I get, move out of the way and let God more into my life so that he's the one doing it in me? Well, and isn't that that one of the most incredible fruits is that, in to use a, a phrase from Pope Benedict, God becomes the living God, not just a concept in the mind, right, exactly. but the living God who is act, actively at work in and through my life. Exactly, yes. So I, I, and for me, it's like, folks, it was one of the things I was mentioning is that um, the commitment isn't so much to pray, the commitment is to God through prayer. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I want God to be really the God of the universe, the God who's my father, the the blessed trinity, the the one who's my savior, the one who is my beloved. I, I want to know that God, and that God then becomes everything for me. And how could I possibly flee from prayer? Because it takes me away from that time where I'm growing to, to know and love and longing to serve and be with my beloved. One thing I would state, though, is when I talk about, or not I, when the tradition talks about this silent, solitary, one-on-one time with God, that we give God some room there. I think sometimes people start to fill it up with devotional prayers and litanies and, and these sort of prayers that where I'm still doing all the talking and I'm, I'm still doing all the action and God can't light on me, so to speak, I think... So that's where the whole learning, learning how to pray, what, what prayer is, 
I think a lot of people think, well, I just have to, so I'll say my prayers for these 20 minutes. Um, but I say, well, wait, you know, there's a certain way to do this. Um, again, the litanies are great some of the time, the devotional prayers, the rosary, do those other, you know, certainly do them. But give God a chance to talk back. And, and by that, I mean, um, again, it's a long story, but give him room to work. And he loves to work when you're quiet and, and at peace. And so don't, don't use too many words during these times. Um, some, some, but, but we're, we're not very good at being quiet. Well, and a, a beautiful, beautiful insight, Father. Insights just sharing. It's so fun. Let's call them fundamental, right? To, to being a human being and also to being elevated and living as a child of God is letting God take the initiative. Um, and that, that's all presuming that we actually expect that the living God sees me, knows me, and is choosing to come to me in prayer right now. That that's mm-hmm. how much he, this infinite God who created the universe, wants to communicate in the intimacy of my prayer time it is an astounding thought. It should leave us just uh, open-mouthed with, yeah. uh, with awe and wonder that, that this God longs to communicate to me in, in an intimate and tender and transformative way. Amen. Uh, that's certainly true. And sometimes it's going to feel that way, and sometimes it's not. And it doesn't matter because it's still happening either way. So, I, I, again, all, everything you said is true, and sometimes we get that consolation that it becomes clear to us. Sometimes it doesn't, but God has his own reasons for that too, the dryness or the, you know, the difficulty, the arid times in prayer. Again, this is all about learning more about prayer, but that can also be very valuable. It's, it's a long, it's, it's, again, it's a, it's a complicated subject, but um, this is what's happening, and God, anytime we want to give him time, he's, he's not like he's going to say, oh, wait a minute, I'm not ready for you. Um, he's waiting there. Amen. That's Father Kurt Nagel. This is Tom Kern. We're listening to Sound Insight today on this Feast of St. Benedict. We're talking about several themes that are just sort of foundational to our life as disciples. What begins to break? When we come back, we're going to move on to the third one, which links very tightly to the one we just discussed. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today I'm with Father Kurt Nagel. Father Nagel, you were just talking about um, the reality of prayer. We don't have a lot of control over when we're going to experience the the intimate consolations that are communicated in a secret way by the Lord and in, in, in touching the depths of our hearts. And other times it'll be very dry. It brings me to my third theme. These are, again, foundational themes I discussed last Thursday that will really help us just advance as disciples. And this third one is a particular virtue, hilaritas, or hilarity, which is the virtue of not taking ourselves too seriously. And the way I discussed it last Thursday, Father Nagel, I'd love to hear your reflections on it, was that a person who's not taking themselves too seriously it finds it easier to surrender, to surrender control over situations that are part of one's life 
that you just can't get in line by yourself. And you were just sharing some reflections about prayer that I think align beautifully with that theme of hilaritas, of of not taking oneself too seriously, but taking seriously the reality that God engages with us, that he takes us seriously. You know, that's this is an interesting point. Um, I hadn't really thought about hilaritas as one of the five, um, when you first mentioned this afternoon, I mean, today. But it's true. Um, I think it comes to the, the joyfulness of the saints, um, in which there's a sense of which, you know, hey, God, this is, not only this is your church, but talking about myself, hey, this is your soul, this is your person. Um, you, you've got this, and and so I can relax. Um, now, it doesn't mean that I don't have sorrows. It doesn't mean that I don't have lots of things I necessarily need to do. But, God, you've got this. You've got me. And and so that that idea of the lightness of heart, I guess, is something I would, the way I would phrase it maybe, um, saying that um, I, I'm not worried about the, the end result. Um, if I'm open to God, if I'm docile to the Spirit, um, I know he's got me and it's gonna, I'm going to end up in a, in a good place. So again, I, I think that rather than uh, sort of gritting my teeth through life, in the spiritual life. I don't think gritting your teeth in the spiritual life is ultimately uh, a sign of God's presence. Yeah, amen. And I got to tell you, it's it's easy to get frustrated, especially um, in, in relationship situations. So for instance, um, I know that it's easy to get frustrated with kids during the summer months, especially teenagers, if they're not stepping up. It's like, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. But they're not valuing the things that we value. They don't see the same way we see. And so a little bit of hilaritas can complement the uh, efforts to drive forward teenagers. Now, you never <laughs> have that experience with parishioners, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Getting... <laughs> I, I think uh, you know, that's what I was thinking about, saying, hey, that sounds like my life as a parish pastor. Yeah. But That is funny. It's, okay, it's true. The, the fourth one is the other manifestation of hilaritas, which is not so much about surrendering control, but a willingness to engage with courage. That hilaritas, one of the uh, images of hilaritas, you've heard me share this before, is the, the paladin, the, 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 front, the, the front guard who would um, go forward into battle with their hoods thrown back, singing in full voice as they are about to engage the enemy as the front you know, the point of the spear, uh, that you can do that sense of uh, courageous engagement with a sense of, of this, again, this freedom, this, this freedom that, that says, I, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm not going to hold back, I'm not going to withdraw, I'm not going to diminish, but I'm going to engage. And how hilaritas can help release that as well. I think, again, I think... The whole idea of courage, um, the virtue of fortitude, the wanting to engage. I think it's one of the very attractive virtues for people. I think many of us don't see ourselves that way. Whether it's, you know, in terms of physical courage, but, but moral courage, um, perseverance, uh, the, the courage of fortitude of patience, as Thomas Aquinas talks about it. This idea that that's not us. And we're always attracted to other people who show fortitude and courage and a willingness to engage. 
that's always attractive, no matter what the motivation is, even if it's not a very good motivation, we're still impressed um, by people who have it. And that's why I think, again, this idea of letting God into our lives, um, again, recognizing that, hey, you know what, I'm on God's side, um, and God is with me, and so, again, I know that I'm on the winning side, and so let me just engage as, as God wants me to, and great things are going to happen. Um, so, but again, I think it's a, it requires an openness to a faith and, and God and the virtue that God will bring us. So I think that's just like this, this wonderful, it's, it's this lightness of heart, as you said, the singing, you know, singing going to battle. I think that's how I would describe it. But to recognize that, hey, we are engaged in a battle, and so my life is full of meaning because I'm the point of the spear of, of the celestial movement of um, God's will. And so whoever I am and whatever I'm doing, if I'm doing his will, I, I'm moving forward the kingdom in that way. And so, again, something hap- happy happens when I realize, hey, you know, this is, my life is so valuable and so important because it's so connected with this God who's at the, the foundation of everything. So, again, that idea of engagement and um, there's nothing like being, you know, if you, I don't know if you were on, a, on how many sports teams you were on as a young man or a student, Tom, but there's a feeling of knowing that you're on a good team. Um, you say, you know, we're good. Uh, we may not win every game, but, but, but we're good. And, and so there's a, just a confidence and a camaraderie that, that goes with that. And so I, I think of that in terms of the church and, and the body of Christ, too, saying, you know, hey, we're the best team. Um, there may be stumbles and falls, but, but you know, we're it. Um, and, and so it's just a great feeling compared to somebody that's always, yeah, we're, we're kind of losers here. No, we're not. So that was that, that's kind of a long rambling answer to what you just mentioned as far as what it, what it sort of sparks up in me. I love that. I never thought about that before as an example of when you're on a good team. And the answer is, it, well, yes, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. You have that natural sense of confidence. Right. And, and I love that because I, I think today that Catholics could use a little bit more of that yes. when we step out into the public square, and, and especially in situations where it's clear that we're in a battle. And we're standing against the dominant uh, message that's politically correct today. That takes some courage, but to do it with uh, joviality, to do it with a sense of hilarity, I think would be um, would be rooted in the confidence that we come from a faith that's been given to us by the Lord God Himself. He, we, we're we're on the winning team. You know, I, I. I think an example of us not doing that very well is after the Dobbs decision. I I was thinking, you know, where's the joy? I mean, I think that our in America, Catholics, we're we were almost kind of apologizing for winning, um, in some sense. That's what I felt like. Um, that there wasn't like the celebration of just celebration of all we've did for so many years. And you know, lives are going to be saved. And yes, it is divisive. And yes, we do have to be careful about our society and et cetera, et cetera. But this was the victory we have been working on. Where's the champagne celebration um, and the call to call to arms? Like so, I guess for me, there there was a lack of of that sort of attitude in all of our reactions. Um, 
And even yeah, back in, in our archdiocese, there were a few churches who were vandalized and things like this in the days after that. But in some ways, that's sort of, that should be like a battle scar, um, a, a victorious battle scar in the sense of, okay, we don't want that to happen. It's too bad. Uh, we're not looking for it. But the fact that it happens means that, again, um, this is what battle is, and, and it shows that yeah, we're in the fight. And so that's the kind of attitude I was looking for, and I'm not, I'm including myself in this as, as sort of a critique, saying, so where's the joy? Um, we just won. Amen. That's beautiful. That's Father Kurt Nagel sharing today. Uh, Father, I'd love to jump in and say more, but we're up against a break. When we come back, we'll, um, I've got one more theme to discuss with you, Father. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. Father Kurt Nagel is with me today. This is Tom Curran listening to Sound Insight. And uh, on this feast, Father, of St. Benedict, just laying out some fundamental themes that are important if we're going to grow as disciples. And these are things that sometimes are just left on the sidelines by Catholics and just trying to call them out in the open. So the last theme that we'll talk about today, Father, is the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is, um, I think, a theme that, once again, uh, is sadly too prominent in the lives of Catholics that We've been baptized, received the gift of the Spirit, been confirmed, received that additional outpouring that is supposed to be our personal Pentecost. We've received um, spiritual gifts. Uh, we have this anointing available to us. And yet, it doesn't often look like the, uh, that many Catholics are living a post-Pentecost life of faith that is zealously moving out into the world to proclaim Christ come what may. And it, it feels like too many of us have not accessed the power of God that the Holy Spirit is intending to be as this gift from God to help us um, be transformed. You know, this is, uh, I would agree, and I, it's sort of a good reality check for me as well. In some ways, it sort of goes back to the last point that I just made, um, because I think the Holy Spirit is what allows us to, um, both the hilaritas and also this courage to engage. I mean, I think you're talking about the Holy Spirit there and working within us. And I do think, first off, I think this time that we're in, it is. I think it, it can act as sort of a spirit suppressant in some ways. Uh, because of all the things that are going on. I think there's a spiritual element to what's happening in the world today, obviously. And so I do think there's this, this idea of, okay, how can we uh, you know, suppress the spirit? How can we uh, cover it up and stuff? That, I, I think that that's something we fight against. And I think that's just even, even in my own life, that the, the idea of um, that the world is making it more challenging to step out and to be faithful this is a theme that we've had all day here. If you want to talk about the brotherhood, the difficulty of prayer, all these sorts of things, there's, there's a common theme here of the challenges um, this particular time. But I, I, I've seen, you know, in terms of even my own priesthood, the change of my parishes in, in recent times, and th- et cetera, I think this, the, the idea of the spirit theme, the Holy Spirit theme, I think that that was in some ways more present in my last parish, that it has to be re-engaged and reignited. And I think that's just, that's a small, small example personally. But I think for lots of people, you're, you would say, that, well, 
lots of people never even experienced it, or, or at least not experienced it, acknowledged it, or or themselves recognize that this is a, a reality. So I do think that this is a time in which the the idea of the Holy Spirit's gifts, powers, um, graces, we better start to tap into them because that's going to be necessary. Um, because again, the idea of fighting and, and the, the, the struggle against these powers, it has to be there. Um, and so, amen, I agree with you, but I, I also say that I'm speaking to myself there too. Well, it, it's an admirable thing to have that sense of humility and to be able to say it out loud. My hope is it's also an encouragement to folks that are listening to say, as you hear Father Nagel, like we all have room to grow. We're all striving to go deeper and the riches of God are inexhaustible. And so no matter how much you know of the Lord or of the spiritual life and what are the beautiful riches of our Catholic t- tradition are, there's still more to be embraced. There's still more to be appropriated. Father Nagel, there's uh, about a minute left in the program. I'd love to just have you just share in, in the final minute anything that you'd take away from the program or anything you'd want to leave us with. I just think that the whole this whole idea of the five um, these five points um, it does point to first of all um, this could be a really exciting life but it's a challenging life um, all of those things are possible and probably we experience some of them in different degrees but I think we we do tend to sell ourselves short when we just go to mass and just sort of do the usual stuff where is the brotherhood where is am I growing in prayer do I have any not just friends in the church, but brothers and sisters um, that take place that, that react with me and live with the faith with me outside of church time. Um, that whole idea of uh, a heart on fire, but also lifted by the Spirit. Um, all of those sort of things just point to kind of like the beauty and the dynamism of the Catholic life. And so if that's not re- our reality, then again, to open ourselves to the Spirit, Holy Spirit, to say, "Let Lord, make, I know that's what you want for me. Um, show me, convert me into such a situation where I can experience this, because right now my life is not my life is not that, but it could be. And so, if 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 the faith is boring or it's cold or it seems kind of dead, well, that's on me. That's uh, Again, this is this is the whole point of life. So I, I applaud you for Tom for bringing these things up and and challenging all of us to uh, sort of again open ourselves up to the Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father Nagel. I appreciate your. I, I love how you share just um, just uh, truthfully, just from the heart, and just being able to engage with me in the way that you do. It's very refreshing and, and it's a blessing. So thank you. That's Father Kurt Nagel. This is Tom Kern. We're up against the end of our program. Thank you so much for listening. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.